listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. The couple was sitting on my couch in my office, which may be stereotypical, but is common for counselors to have that couch in their office. And there they were, one on each end. The woman was to my left, the man was to my right, and they could not have been further apart. As they tried to tell me the story of their crisis, all they managed to do was to repeat the same blame shifting that had started the whole process when they talked to me on the phone. Each one of them had called me about the appointment. The first person called to see if I was available. The second called to check up on me to see if I was going to already side with the other person. After that call, the first person called me back again to make sure that I had not been shifted to the side of the person who had called. Repeatedly, they went back and forth until it was time for the appointment. They came in, looked at me, sat at opposite ends, and began to tell me the story. Each one was completely furious with the other. Both were completely convinced that the other person was the problem. Each of them told me the story of how it all started. The interesting thing was each one chose a different starting point. They were telling me about the same relationship, but you would never know it. Now, before you think, wow, that that poor couple, I will tell you that this is not a one-time event. I've had plenty of couples come into my office and completely disagree with each other on what the problem is. They both will acknowledge that there is a problem in the relationship, that something is desperately wrong with their marriage, but neither one is capable of telling me where it started. That's kind of the human piece of this. There's a dance we do when we feel like something's going wrong that's about not me. This is not my fault. We don't want to be the cause of the problem. And so we try to shift where it starts. So today I want to talk about this little dance that really has three steps. The first step is anger. The second step is blame. And the third step is shame. When we dance that dance, it goes round and round. Anger, blame, shame. Anger, blame, shame. Anger, blame, shame. It's a great three-step. There's a rhythm to it that both people are playing. The problem is in the process, they don't notice the cycle that they're playing that means that if they really buy into that story, neither one can do anything about it. Think about that for a minute. I have people who are in my office supposedly to work on their relationship, but they spend all of their time trying to convince me why they are not to blame for it why they are not the ones who did this, why they have a right to their anger. They never really claim the shame, but I can see it in them. And so as they're doing this dance, both of them are disempowering themselves and how they might be able to change the process. And that's the thing that's most important to understand about this three-step. It's paralyzing. Not only is it paralyzing, it's painful. Not only is it painful, it's repetitive. Sometimes when I talk with people, I recognize that this isn't their first little problem. 
Rarely do people come to the therapist the first time they have an issue. (laughs) Most of the time we wait until we're knee deep in it. It's kind of like going to the doctor. When I was sick 15 years ago, when I was really sick, I kept putting off going to the doctor. I kept thinking I was going to get better. My wife kept saying, you need to go to the doctor, but I kept putting it off. And maybe that's a male thing or maybe it's a human thing, but sometimes we have to get pretty bad before we're willing to really admit that there's something wrong. Not only that there's something wrong, but that we might need some outside help to get it fixed. There have been a couple of times when I've injured myself and I've doubted whether I should go to see the doctor. When my chin was opened up on a mountain biking accident, I kept telling my wife I really didn't think I need stitches even though we could see how deep it was. The same thing happens to us in our emotional life. We don't go the first time. In fact, one of the things I always hoped is when I was working with a couple primarily to help them kind of begin the process of getting ready to get married, that not that we would solve the problem, because at that point they didn't see a problem, but that they would have a reference point so that they would come to see me before things got too bad, or at least come to see somebody before things got too bad. What I was hoping to do was create an early prevention plan for them that when things got tough, they felt like it was okay to find some help. But this couple in front of me, they didn't wait when things first got messed up. They didn't even come to me when things had been messed up for a month or three months or a year or two years or five years or 10 years. They were in my office after 20 years of struggling. They'd been married 21 years. So they both marked the struggles as starting at the 20 20 years ago, the one-year mark. In fact, they only disagreed a little bit about when it started. So what is that dance? I've already named the three steps to it, but what I didn't tell you is how you stop doing that dance. The three steps to the dance are anger, blame, and shame. So let's talk a little bit about each one of those steps. You know, if you, if you go to a, a dance class and they teach you the three steps, there's something that you have to do in each step. There's something behind each step. There's some logic to it. So let's talk a little bit about the logic of of these three steps. The first thing to talk about is anger. One of the problems with anger is we misunderstand what it's about. Anger is not a primary emotion. For instance, happiness, that's a primary emotion. When you feel happy, it looks happy. Excitement is a primary emotion too. When when you're excited, it, it, it shows. But anger is a secondary emotion. It comes on the heels of something else. It's the outward representation of another inner feeling. And that inner feeling is hurt or threat or fear. And really, hurt, threat, and fear come together. When we're hurt, it makes us feel threatened. And when we're threatened, we become fearful. So those three primary emotions of hurt, threat, and fear show themselves up as anger. When we feel hurt and threat and fearful, we try to create a defense. And the way to be defensive is to to push fear outward. So if you think of fear being pushed outward, it looks like anger. So sometimes people have been in my office trying to tell me how deeply they've been hurt. And for everybody looking, it looks a whole lot like anger. 
And so I'll check in with them and say, hey, can you tell me what the anger is about? And they'll say, I'm, I'm not angry, I'm hurt. But it comes out as anger. But a lot of times, people come in and they're angry and we try to get backwards to the place where they're actually hurt. And it takes a while to pull the defensives down. Because in order to admit that you feel hurt, you have to admit vulnerability. We humans don't always want to look vulnerable. We humans don't always want to show that soft side to other people. And so instead of showing that soft side, we come out with our hard side. We come out with our attack. Now, the interesting thing about that is in an intimate relationship like marriage, hurt can be healed. There's a place for hurt. It's vulnerability. When people express their hurt, when people trust somebody enough to express their hurt, when people are willing to share their hurt with somebody they love, the vulnerability allows a place of connection. Anger is harder to connect. If I come up to you and I tell you how angry I am at you, and I might even shake my finger in your face and raise my voice a little bit, you're going to respond the same way because you're going to feel hurt and threatened and fearful. And so anger meets anger. But if I came up to you and I said, wow, you know, when we had that talk last week, it really hurt my feelings. It's much more likely that you'll feel empathy, not hurt, but empathy. You might even say, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. You might even be able to explain yourself, but instead, couples come at each other with that hard edge, that anger. And when they do that, it repels, it pushes somebody away. So the first step in this dance is anger. But we know what's behind that now is the hurt, which leads to the second step of blame. Blame is about shifting the starting point. You know, when I was a kid, my brother and I would often get in little tiffs, and we were often quick to point the finger at how the other person started it. It was his fault. He started it. We don't grow out of that game. We're looking for who started it because whoever started it gets to be blamed. It's not whether we respond, but if we can prove that we didn't start it. As if any response after that is allowable because somebody else started it. So blame is trying to find the place of the start. And when I tell the story of where something started, I'm likely to tell that story where it didn't start with me. I want to find the other person's fault, their blamefulness in this. So the next step is to move to blame. Because you see, the blame justifies the anger. If somebody tells you that you're angry, instead of saying, you know what, I'm really hurt, you're likely to say, I'm angry because, and to give a blame reason. Because when we give a blame reason, we don't have to look at it. We don't have to accept it. We're able to deflect to the other person, which is where the stories always get interesting. The longer I've been involved in marriage and family work, the more I've realized the system in place that keeps spinning around. For a long time, I was working with families, and I always realized that, that hurting people often came from parents who were hurting, and they were hurt from that. 
But then you have to look one more step back that those parents might have come from hurting families and those parents might have come from hurting families and we can keep on going on back. Well, the same happens when I'm talking with a couple when they begin to talk about what the pain is about, what the anger is about. They start tracking backwards. With this particular couple, they started with their most recent argument. The problem was that most recent argument led to the other person talking about the one before that, which led to the other one talking about the one before that. And they begin to track further and further back in time, trying to isolate the starting point. Now they both knew that they had been in a troubled relationship for a long time, but the interesting thing was for us to begin to draw the map backwards to where they thought it might have started. And the interesting thing is, as you can probably tell from my description of that, I knew we weren't going to get anywhere. The more we looked for the source, the further we got from the place we were now. The further we looked for the source, the further we got from the present. The more we got back into the history. We were on an archaeology dig. They wanted to dig up the bones and see who could find the oldest bones that proved that they were right about their theory, about what was wrong in their relationship, and each one kept digging. Pretty soon, we were all the way back to that 20 years ago, Mark, one year into the marriage. Even then, they disagreed. Part of what they were playing was that blame step. They wanted to be, each of them, free of blame. So they kept looking for how to blame the other person, which would justify the anger. You see, the blame is justifying the anger, and the anger comes from the blame. It's a nice back and forth step. And then we have to throw in that third step of shame. Shame comes to us because we think we ought to be able to handle things. So I've talked to people before about marriage and how things went wrong. And they said, you know, I should have reacted differently. Just a few days ago, I was talking with a coaching client who was telling me that, you know, he had not been the best of husbands. Now, he's not the first person who said that to me. In fact, as I kind of thought back, I'd heard that phrase about five times this past week about not being the best spouse, whether it was the best wife or best husband, that we're quick to look at ourselves and recognize we weren't the best. But sometimes we can only recognize that when we realize that there are things that we would want to do differently. So I don't know if you're like most people, but you probably didn't get a lot of training on how to be married. You probably didn't get a lot of training on how to deal with an emotional spouse or how to deal with a crisis in life or how to comfort a hurting spouse or how to respond to an angry spouse or how to become a we with a spouse that you realize isn't exactly who you thought you were marrying because that's true for all of us. We all think we should know how, but none of us are trained. So think of it another way. Whatever your profession is, let's go to another profession. So if you're a doctor, you know, maybe you end up in the courtroom and have to play like an attorney. Would you feel ashamed that you didn't know how to practice law? Or if you're an attorney, maybe you end up as a doctor and you're having to be the doctor, but you don't know anything about that. So how do you do that? Or maybe you go in to the mechanic and they say, oh, fix your own car. Here, here's, here's a, a wrench. Go fix your own car. And you could look at that and they could say to you, you ought to know how to do this. That would be where shame comes from. 
when we feel like we should know something that really is outside of our training, outside of our experience. For most of us, we came from families where parents were either struggling themselves or not telling us how they had figured it out. Lots of us come from families with struggling marriages. So there's a group that haven't had the experience of seeing a good marriage. But more than that, people who come from a good marriage don't know the magic behind it that's discovered in quiet, that happens behind closed doors, but happens in the quiet and and sometimes even happens just in the minds of parents. So most of us don't have uh, great training in how to be a great spouse. Schools don't teach it. There aren't many classes in it. If you're lucky, before you get married, you might go on a weekend retreat or you might meet with a counselor a few times or you might read some books. But there's nothing like real-life marriage to teach you that the theories you thought you might have known are out the window. As you know, I've been doing jiu-jitsu for a while, and one of the things that I've noticed is when they show me a technique, when the teacher demonstrates a technique... I can see it and I can understand it with my eyes, but my body doesn't do it. I don't have it down. I haven't taken that in. I haven't had a chance. And so part of the process is to try it and not have somebody say, wow, you suck at that. But for somebody to say, hey, why don't you do it this way? But how often do we get that in marriage? Instead, we keep hiding the pain and hiding the difficulties and the struggles until we finally can't avoid it anymore. And by that time, we've done some damage. And that's what leads to the shame step, where we hide the pain and hide the struggle and hide the difficulties, even from a spouse, where we're not willing to say, I don't know what I'm doing here. Many times, the first time somebody has been able to say to a spouse, I am clueless here. I don't know what I'm doing. I want us to have a great marriage, but I don't know how, is sitting in my office. Because that's a vulnerable statement, which takes us back to the whole pain and blame and anger piece. So shame is the feeling we have that we should know what to do, but in reality we don't, even if there's no reason for us to truly know it. So how do we stop doing this dance? Well, that's the last word, responsibility. Now, responsibility is not suddenly knowing what to do. It's assuming responsibility to figure it out. Responsibility is a disruptor to that three-step dance. Responsibility is the only way to disrupt that dance. When people are stuck in the anger, blame, shame, anger, blame, shame steps, something has to pull them out of it, and responsibility is that. But it takes somebody willing to step up and say, I'm the one who's going to be responsible here. See, a lot of the times people talk to me and say, you know, it takes two to tango. And my response is, you're correct, but somebody has to ask to start that dance. And you can always change the steps of the dance. So how do you start that? By taking responsibility. So I love the word responsibility. We say it so quick, and we sometimes confuse it with fault. But I've talked in other places, especially on my Thrivology podcast, that responsibility is not about assuming fault. Responsibility is assuming that you have the ability to respond. 
response ability, ability to respond. When we step into that ability to respond, it's not that we know how, it's that we know we could know how. We could figure that out. What I love about responsibility is it's forward-looking. The couple on my couch were backward-looking. They were looking into history, trying to figure out where to put the blame. Now, archaeology digs are interesting, wonderful things, but they're digging up old, old dead bones. They're not going to bring the bones back to life. They're going to learn about what was, what happened in the past, but that doesn't tell us much about how to move forward into something new. That's when we forward look. Responsibility is saying not this is all my fault, but saying this is where I look at my role. What is my role in where we are? Not what is my fault for all that's gone wrong, but what is my role in where we are? When we're looking at our role, we recognize that we also have the opportunity for shifting. We have the possibility of moving in a different direction. And I want you to notice something very important here. When we're blaming somebody else for where we are, there's nothing we can do individually about that. If I think that you cause the problem, then I've knocked myself out of the possibility of doing anything because you're the one who caused this and you're the one who has to fix this. But when we accept that there's a role that each of us plays and I can accept my role, then there's a shift that's possible just by saying, okay, I've got to look at where I am responsible for this. The next thing that happens in responsibility is that we can become aware of the hurt, both our own hurt and our spouse's hurt. It's a whole lot more helpful to look at a spouse who's presenting us with anger and we assume that behind that is hurt. It's also useful for us to be aware of our own hurt so that we don't allow the anger to keep coming out, that we can actually acknowledge that the hurt is what's behind it. So when we become aware of the hurt, we can treat it with empathy and share our vulnerability in a different way. Part of responsibility is always a refusal to blame. It's not about saying, oh yeah, well, you did this. It's the ability to say, now what do we do? Now what do I do? Now how can we move forward from here? Part of what we are fighting against is the shame. If you feel that shame that at some point you should have known what to do, let that go. Instead, ask the question, how do you find help now? To be able to acknowledge that you need help is the beginning point of any change. Responsibility is the starting point. To say I'm responsible, my role in where we've been is this. The next step is to say I'm responsible and my role going forward is this. Over the last few weeks, I've had a number of people say, I just wish I had found your system earlier. They tell me that they recognize that they did more damage because they would not go find help than anything else. So the opportunity for you to find help is right here. If you recognize that you and your spouse have been playing that three-step dance, anger, blame, shame, and you say, you know what? I raise my hand. I want to change that dance. I don't want to dance that anymore. 
I want to do something different. That's you saying, I choose responsibility. I choose my ability to respond. When you do that, then you have the opportunity of stepping away from the shame and saying, and I will learn what needs to happen. So it's very simple for us to start that process. You can grab my Save the Marriage system as part of that. There are other pieces of information out there, other programs that you might do. That's great. But what I hope you do is I'll find, is you find a program or information that helps you understand why you're where you are and helps you understand how to change those dance steps. If it's my program, I would love to be a part of helping you understand what there's no other way for you to have understood than to work on learning. The learning part is the beginning point of changing those steps. Now, the Save the Marriage system is designed to help you understand what a marriage is designed to be about. Not only that, but how to move towards that in your own life, how to apply it to your own situation. If you go ahead and grab my Save the Marriage system, and you can find that at savethemarriage.com, what I want to do is give you a couple of things. One is a free week of my VIP virtual coaching. There's only one time you can get that free week, and that's when you buy the system. I'll give you an offer of that free week, and all you have to do is accept it. Also, along with that free week of VIP virtual coaching, which has tools and training and coaching involved, I also want to have you talking one-on-one with one of my coaches for 15 to 20 minute best start session, the best way to get started and to get you moving forward so that you don't get stuck. We provide that at no charge so that you get the best start you can. 15 to 20 minutes with one of my coaches will give you a running start into that and you get that at no charge right now. I will tell you that We only have so much capacity for that, and I can pull that offer at any time, but it is available if you go now to savethemarriage.com. That's savethemarriage.com. Grab the system. Get started. Let's get you out of that step and into the next step of the dance that brings back joy and brings back satisfaction into your marriage so that you and your, your spouse have the marriage that you both want and will treasure. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.